0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Carla Joy Treadway. I'm here to help you navigate nuanced conversations and explore topics that demand your attention and awareness. There is no topic off limits here. Together we will seek to find the middle path, explore the polarities of darkness and light, left and right, grace and grit. As a writer, life coach, and seasoned yogi, I'm in the business of awareness and conscious action. I'm here to create space for the conversations that need to be had in order to create solutions that bridge the divide between humans. Sensemaking will use practical, logical, philosophical, and spiritual tools to help us gain well-rounded perspectives on issues that strike a chord. Let's get started. Hello everyone. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Carla Joy Treadway. Today I have a very special guest with me, Bonnie Snyder. She wrote a book called Undoctrinate, how politicized classrooms harm kids and ruin our schools and what we can do about it. And her organization FIRE helps to educate parents people in the educational sector and citizens in general on what some of these policies are and what is happening in our school systems bonnie thank you for joining me today
1: my pleasure thank you for having me
0: can you begin by telling us just a a little bit more about yourself and what brought you to this work specifically
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. I um, before I worked at FIRE, which is the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. I was a college professor. Uh, I trained to be a college administrator with a doctorate in higher ed administration, uh, and I did that specifically because of my concerns about what's been going on in the academy. Uh, I was an English Ph.D. student, and I dropped out of an English Ph.D. program over heavy-handed ideology that I saw uh, um, encroaching in the field of English literature. We've seen in the United States a collapse in enrollment in the humanities incidentally, not uh, disconnected from the theories. We used to call it literary theory, uh, critical theory, critical feminist theory. Uh, And so as an undergraduate at Harvard, I had a little bit of introduction to these kinds of theories. Uh, and so it's been a strain throughout my own education, not in my secondary schooling, kindergarten through high school. I think I received an excellent, well-balanced, uh, liberal, you know, classically liberal education. And I, I have no complaints about it. My teachers were ethical. They were um, fair minded. I couldn't tell you what the political persuasion of any of my um, teachers were, even through college, even through uh, Harvard, my professors. But once I got to graduate school, um, I I began to notice the problems with critical theory. And I could say more about that, uh, but something I often like to point out as well, in my undergraduate studies, and I was an English major, I was assigned the Communist Manifesto six separate times. It's the only book I was ever assigned more than once uh, as an undergraduate. And I think it was because it's considered to be a way of thinking, a way of looking at the world. I wasn't a poli-sci major, but I did have some pretty heavy exposure to Marxist thought during my undergraduate education. And so that is a perspective that I bring uh, when I look at what's going on currently in American education.
0: And what's happening in America is concerning to me as a Canadian, because whatever America does, Canada eventually does. And Uh we follow along. And I would say we are a, a very liberal country in particular. And I've been following politics for the first time in my life very intensely over the last two years. Um, I didn't really pay attention previous to the last two years, because it didn't really seem like it mattered. My life didn't change too much if it was liberal, if it was conservative. But what I am highly cognizant of now is that the left is very far leaning And I'm seeing more and more of these policies and ideologies start to leak into the school system. Um, My daughters are nine and 13, and my 13 year old is coming home from grade seven and every single day is talking about um, what's, what's being taught to her in school, or even just like what the kids are talking about. And those certainly aren't the things that we were talking about in in grade seven the amount of friends that she has that are uh, multiple genders or no genders or bisexual and there's lots of sexual conversations that are happening um really really young right as as well as uh crt like uh trainings that are happening in school which have been
1: concerning me right and When my own daughter, my older daughter got through K-12 schooling, that's what we call it here, um, relatively unscathed, uh, but my younger daughter began to be caught up in some of this ideology. And um, what I'm seeing, so I started keeping track of these stories. She had a couple of experiences in her own school. It was bad enough I pulled her out of the school. I did catch school officials, teachers, and administrators lying to us about what was actually going on, which was what finally was the, the final straw uh, deception in America has been a big part of this that has broken a lot of trust between school and home. Uh, we are seeing like I, I, what I'm seeing is that the classrooms first became politicized here, then they became radicalized and now they're becoming sexualized. I'm seeing, uh, which is very much the theme of this school year, the gender ideology and uh, what I'm labeling as dirty books. Uh, and I know that makes me sound like I'm, you know, very preachy and, and maybe an old, um, you know, sp- priggish prim school marm. But I could share with you, I, I made a list of what's going on in some of these books and it, it would um, turn your eyelids inside out. So, you know, they are importing Premises, And I would say importing a whole new morality into the classroom without full disclosure or buy in from communities and uh, very much it's being concealed or imported under, you know, uh, appealing guises that uh, are not necessarily discernible to the casual observer. And so this is what uh, I've been keeping track of. And uh, I have long lists of examples. When I was first aware of this problem, that was almost 11 years ago now when I pulled my own daughter out and it was, people were aware of it. It's very difficult at that time to get anyone to come, come forward and to speak about it. Most people just wanted to get their child through without ruffling feathers, without rocking the boat. Uh, But in the last three years or so, it's gotten so egregious that parents are coming forward, they're going to newspapers, they're showing up at school board meetings. So I guess that's a positive development. But this problem is very advanced at this point.
0: I have also the, the my biggest issue is with the secrecy of some of it. And it's happening in Canada, where there are secret gender plans for children. So in school, the teacher will call them by a different name and pretend that they're the other gender or acknowledge them as the other gender without ever telling the parent that that's happening. So for me, it's not about whether or not that lifestyle is all right. It's that the school is separating child from parent. And that, in my opinion, is never okay.
1: Which is, is always a very Marxist name. Is to um, you know get the child separate from the nuclear family and under the auspices of the state. Uh, there seems to be a movement again. Much of this is you, you'd have to read pretty heavily into Marx, but to sort of disrupt what's known, what you know we've always thought of as the innocence of childhood, and so there are some extreme ideologues who will argue that you know children are born sexual beings and that. Um, there are a lot of arguments that are used to import books that never would have been found in school libraries or in school classrooms uh, previously so i have done a deep dive incidentally into this sort of transgender Uh, you're also talking about getting into the realm of unlicensed practice because in America, you know, I was a licensed elementary school teacher cert, called certification, but it is a license that is uh, awarded by the state. And so you're licensed the same way that a doctor or a dentist or even a cosmetologist would be licensed because you're in a position where you can do real harm. Uh, So a teacher is in a position where you can harm children. And so your, you know, my licenses were elementary education, secondary English and secondary school counselor, secondary guidance counselor. Uh, and, you know, this means that I was not qualified to teach math. This means that I'm not qualified really to teach history. Uh, and you are supposed to stay within the, the realm of your certification. But we have teachers now who seem to be conducting sort of quasi therapy, group therapy on other people's children who can't consent to treatment without their parents uh, authorization without their parents' agreement. And, you know, I know enough to know that ha- having some training in counseling that you know, group counseling is the hardest kind of counseling to conduct and to do it with other people's, other citizens, children in a group setting with no consent to treatment. I mean, it's just a recipe for disaster. You don't know what you're going to unearth. You're not equipped to handle it. Uh, This gets into the realm of what I call unconscious incompetence. You know, I was taught that there are four levels of becoming a skilled practitioner. And the first level is you don't know what you're doing and you don't even know that you don't know what you're doing. And I would say that many of these operators, like I'm more in the realm of what they call conscious incompetence. I know I'm not equipped to conduct therapy on a group of school children uh, in a a classroom setting. I I am well aware of how complicated that is and what I might unearth and how dangerous it is. So at least I know better than to do that. Uh, So these, these are, among the the many things that concern me at this moment
0: in canada our prime minister very recently created a bill that essentially made it um illegal to get counseling before someone decided to go through hormone therapy or sex reassignment surgery that used to be the norm that if someone wanted that it, it was required of them first to seek out therapy and i see a lot of people cheering this on and I actually went, I I have quite a few uh, friends in in the gay community, I have transgender friends, and I asked them about this. And they disagree with it, because that transition is intense, it is intense, it is, um, it changes you forever. And they were actually appreciative of the therapy. And now that bill it it makes it so that no one can actually get it so doctors can only agree and affirm your decision and i just think of myself as like a child and i didn't even know what i wanted to be when i grew up you know like what i thought i was going to do at 13 years old is night and day different from what I want now as a 37 year old and I and I've seen this too with with gender where children are in a situation they're looking for a reason why things don't feel right well maybe it's this and sometimes it is that and sometimes they do need to transition but sometimes it's not and I've heard not so much in Canada but I have heard the verbiage in the United States don't worry you can take these hormones and it's totally reversible that's not true that's not true if you interfere with your hormones your voice doesn't change your uh genitals don't grow and and manifest to its fullest form It, it is permanent and that's really concerning that we're vilifying like therapists and counselors that's actually a really helpful thing and i can understand maybe where they were coming from they were worried that we were saying that it's not okay to be this person i don't think that was the intention it's to make sure that they're really solid on this decision
1: right and um i I have pulled a lot of the literature on this because this is happening in the United States as well. We don't have that exact law, but there is this sort of rush to affirm and to fast track. And, uh, you know, there is the case that has come out of Kira Bell in, in the UK in England who has sued saying, you know, that I should not have been given these hormones. Now my Voices changed. Now I have facial hair. This is not irreversible. Uh, my understanding is that she did win and that they are changing the policies, the Tavistock uh, gender clinics in England, are, uh, you know, saying that under 16s cannot consent. What we under, I do, you know, I've taught for um 14 years, I taught developmental psychology in a college of education. uh, And we know a great deal about the adolescent mind. You know, we don't know everything, but we know that the brain does not fully develop until the mid to late 20s. We know that the part of the brain that develops last is the prefrontal cortex that governs uh, the uh, abstractions such as anticipating outcomes, thinking ahead, uh, impulse control. We know how stormy adolescence is. We know how uh, adolescents tend to engage in emotional reasoning uh, rather than using their, you know, their uh, deductive capacities. They tend to be more inductive. We know that adolescents are prone towards cognitive distortions. Uh, David Elkind explains this theory of um, adolescent egocentrism, which is the idea that adolescents construct a personal fable that they will. Um, Oh, they, they engage in certain fantasies. One of them is actually this foundling fable where you might imagine, and I honestly can remember this idea. And we're thinking that you the adolescent fable is this idea that you're incredibly special and unique and that no one can understand you. But also that there's an imaginary audience watching you all the time and judging your appearance and everything that you do I think we can all remember that, you know, and a lot of teenage, this is why teenagers are so addicted to social media. Uh, and actually we know that social media plays a role in this body dysmorphia and in, uh, in, in this incredible self-focusing that, um, that, that young people pr- are prone to doing. Uh, we know also that there's a large overlap. There's so many reasons to be concerned about that. This, there's a large, uh, we have rising autism rates in the U.S. I imagine you do as well in the West. Uh, And there's a large overlap between gender confusion or gender, you know, non-binary identification and an autism diagnosis. How much of this could possibly be our failure to recognize, appreciate and competently deal with increasing neurodiversity? I'm reminded when I was an adolescent, I went through an anorexic phase, and this bears many resemblances. That was a trend that spread through emotional social contagion in the 70s and the 80s. Princess Diana was caught up in the the eating disorders of that era, um, and it spread mostly among young women. We're seeing rising numbers of clusters of young women showing what they're calling rapid onset. Uh, Or what has been called rapid onset gender dysphoria, whereas they didn't exhibit this way before, but suddenly in a cluster that seems to feed upon itself via social contagion, groups of young girls are are showing up this way. I'm hearing of counselors who have, you know, a, a large clique of girls who all are saying that they all suddenly are transgender and and parents are at their wits end. So there are so, so many reasons to what I say, tap the brakes on this. So many reasons for pause, so many unanswered questions. Um, and, and I do have a piece coming out. It's ready to go. I just haven't placed it yet uh, asking the many, many questions that I think are unanswered at this point, you know, comorbid diagnoses, personality disorders, anxiety, depression, uh, and certainly things that need to be ruled out before you would do something that is irreversible. And, um, and I, I believe that we can show copious empathy, compassion and care to these young people who are, you know, growing up in a climate that is so much more fraught than what we were faced with without potentially adding to it. So I think that there are, there are competing harms that have to be weighed against each other because the the what we're hearing is that if we don't affirm that these students or that these kids would be at a greater risk of committing suicide to which i respond anyone who is threatening to hurt themselves should be referred immediately for psychiatric evaluation and treatment you would not um and, and I, I worry that some of these kids, instead of getting the treatment they need, are being caught up in a political agenda or a political ideology instead of being properly referred. Uh, but you also have to weigh the harm of what could be false positives. And, you know, people who are caught up in a, a wave of, um, you know, a, an enthusiasm, a fad, uh, a trend. So we, we just as adults have to be mature and wise and caring, but careful, very, very careful in how we handle this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think at, it is absolutely true that there are people that are transgender and that they don't feel comfortable in the right body. But the amount of children that I'm seeing that are jumping on that ship, I, I just don't think that's possible. Um, It's quite different from being attracted to a different sex, that might be more common, but the fact that you need to physically, surgically, hormonally change your body in this extreme way, I just can't see those numbers being
1: accurate. Um, And well, if I can jump in, one of the things that you know, I was trained as both a teacher and a counselor, and this is Carl Rogers: is unconditional acceptance. Unconditional acceptance means means that if somebody comes to you in counseling, uh, you, you know, and they say, "This is how I am. This is what I'm dealing with," you know, whether they're alcoholic, whether they're you know, biting, they're pulling their own hair out because they're so stressed. What, whatever it is, you just accept them as they present themselves as they are. But this doesn't mean that you necessarily affirm the way that they are, or that you don't, once you've, that's to establish a basis of trust and open communication. But at a certain point, you might want to start to challenge that person to change, because when people present, especially to a counselor, it's usually because they don't want to stay this way, because they're in a state where they're trying to figure things out. And so, you know, if there's only affirmation, then where is the appropriate challenge? Uh, That's not to say that you would say that they're wrong, but this is, you know, counselors don't tell you how they are. They say, well, what do you think? Well, how does that feel to you? And you let people figure things out for themselves. That takes time and it takes, you know, an environment that is reassuring, but not necessarily always affirming because we get into this a lot at FIRE as well, where people say, Um, you know, they're offended or they're upset because of something somebody said. And, and it's like, well, just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean that you're right. Sometimes our feelings lie to us. And that is why we have therapists to talk to. Because a lot of times we tell ourselves we, we, we engage in cognitive distortions. Like if somebody doesn't want to go out with me, I'm a terrible, disgusting person. And I'll never have any friends for the rest of my life. That's an example of a cognitive distortion and a, a good counselor would push back on that and try to get the person to think more clearly and in a more logical way. So, um, there are competing, uh, there are competing located than just automatic unquestioning, um, nonstop affirmation that can lead to other bad unwelcome outcomes.
0: Yeah, it's almost like the quick fix. I mean, any big decision, like say it's even um, like my best friend going through uh, like a divorce, I wouldn't immediately affirm, nor would I ever tell her my opinion on what to do. But I would, as a good friend, just ask her more questions. Ask her like why, ask her what she sees. Um, There would just be more questions. And in terms of like my own children, should they have come to me with this issue and were feeling this way, I would love them and accept them unconditionally i would never jump in full steam ahead there would be many many questions there would be putting on the brakes there would absolutely be counseling and therapy so that i know that they're really thinking about their thinking and being young especially that's going to require time because they're just changing so dramatically i would never fast track that
1: Yeah, the the developmental stage that applies is Eric Erickson's um, identity versus identity confusion stage. We used to say that that was from 12 to 18. Now adolescence is extended in the West because of affluence, really. People used to have to grow up faster. Now we say it's like 12 to 24, uh, and this crisis that has to be answered at this stage is who am i and in answering that stage in answering that question rather um and it is considered to be a crisis because there's a path like you can't be everything you have to be you know at some point you have to decide if you're um you, you know are you going to go to medical school or you're not going to go to medical school you're going to join the military you not you can't both join and not join. Uh, and so there are four subsets of this stage of development. And one of them is a moratoria. And this is where you basically, we allow young people to go through a stage of experimentation. Uh, and so this might take the form of a gap year or an internship or you know, traveling abroad or being an undecided student in college. These are culturally accepted um, it's like a time, and you know, I live in Amish country in Pennsylvania, and they have this period where even the Amish, which is a very closed sect, uh, they call it Rumspringa, which means running around in the springtime, and they go a little nuts. And you read in the newspaper sometimes they get caught driving cars, or and they don't drive well because they're Amish, and, or you know, drinking in barns, and they get a little wild. And this is understood, you know, it's, it's true. I, I actually have a book on my bookshelf. Called um, oh, what? It, it's it's just about wild adolescence. The the wild. It's not going to come to me, but I can get it to you, and we can put it in the in the chat later. But um, like in all species, young people get a little wild. You know, adolescence uh, is a stormy time. Uh, the problem is there's also the, a negative outcome of this. The goal is identity achievement. You go through a period of questioning. Mm -hmm. We allow the young person to question, we allow them a little bit of wildness, you know, they get, sow their wild oats or whatever you're going to call it, before they settle down and, you know, achieve their identity. But a negative outcome is foreclosure. And foreclosure is when they settle on something before they even question. And I fear that some of this is moving into foreclosure territory, because there's a lot of um, pressure, a lot of... um, attention, a lot of even reward that goes along with having this sort of special identity. And and we're hearing in the United States, um, I would, you know, people are saying that there's um, some people are saying that there is grooming going on in schools. And I do become concerned as a school counselor, you're a mandated reporter. I do become concerned when I see examples of a teacher telling a student that you are extremely special. You are so special that other people wouldn't understand. So let's keep this between you and me. It'll be our secret. That is a that is every warning flag. That is when, you know, and, and then we're also seeing, and I can show you videos of teachers who brag about the number of students they have with these special identities in their classroom. And also they say things like, I love you. Just, I want you students to know that how much I love you. And uh, that to me is just clearly crossing inappropriate boundaries. I know that they probably think they mean well, but I think that the, another thing that happens is counter-transference, which is something that we used to be taught about in school, where you start to see yourself in a youngster and then you start to not recognize them as a separate individual, but you start to project onto them. Because we had an incident here in Lancaster about a week ago where a French teacher brought in drag erotic performers and conducted a drag show at the school And then she bragged about it and it made the news. So it's out there. You can see the videos. It's very inappropriate for school. Uh, And then she bragged about it and said how much it would have meant to her personally had someone done this for her when she was that age as a queer individual. And it was about her, her, her. And to me, that is like I was taught as a counselor, you know, if you have issues, you need to go to counseling. Do not bring your issues into the you know the the consultation room because that's not fair to the other individual you don't know what that person's wants that's why counselors are always saying you know what do you think a good counselor says what do you think you don't tell them what to think you ask them to try to figure out you guide them but there's a boundary and I I think we're losing some of those boundaries
0: that's right. And I was, um I, I was watching what was happening in Florida with the don't say gay bill, which is what they were falsely calling it, which is not what the bill was. The bill was don't talk to kids K to three about sex, period. And, you know, social media and TikTok, it, it's filled with far left liberal teachers saying oh great well now i can't tell the students about my relationship about my life and i just thought to myself you know i went through k to 12 not knowing anything about my teachers romantic lives and it has nothing to do with gay or straight i didn't know if they were gay or straight or bi or polygamous or asexual because i was there to be taught math and science and literature, not about their personal relationships.
1: Right, and what we're seeing are a lot of teachers who are bringing the personal into the classroom in terms of their politics. And yeah, I saw this one teacher who said that he seemed to want to tell his kids. That was always a running gag when I was in school, was to try to get the teacher talking to get so that you wouldn't have to cover the lesson for the day. But I, you know, my teachers typically didn't fall for that because they were professional and they would bring it back to the learning objective. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you can remember this, but when I was a kid, I would get upset if I saw my teacher at the grocery store because I was dumb enough to imagine that my teacher, and this is very common, this is called static reasoning. I really thought that teachers at least in elementary school, I pretty much thought they lived in the school. I didn't even conceive of them as having a personal life or, or doing anything other than being my teacher. Uh, and that's, that's I think, pre-operational thought. It's a stage of development. Um, just as adolescence is a stage of development, and it's very risky to be making permanent, life-altering decisions with you know an unfinished, not completely developed adolescent mind without Um, copious very careful guidance
0: when this started happening too it it was it was slightly concerning but it it only really rattled my attention when I listened uh, to a James Lindsay podcast about Marxism and the early sexualization of children as being a very specific Marxist tool Um, with the goal being disrupt, because everything about Marxism is disrupt and dismantle. Uh, He talks about a utopia, but it never really happens. It's mostly about a revolution. And then how do you have a revolution if everyone is just happy? So how do you disrupt? And getting to the children early, talking about sex early was one of those things so that they go home and think, well, my parents don't understand me. They're deeply unhappy in every way, unhappy with the home. So you really don't have much to lean on other than the new ideology, the state that agrees with you, Uh, the government even. And when I heard that the first time, that really rattled me to my core.
1: That and um, for a long time, we've been having action civics and civic engagement, which are ways of sort of raising kids to become an army of activists. Uh, And they're being activated before they really understand. Uh, I think too, when I think of what has what is being called CRT critical race theory is it, it's really is a conclusion really giving kids the answer and then asking them to just prove that the answer is correct without you know so it's critical theory but it's not critical thinking is it it's a premise it's one way of looking at the world and and you know I go down different rabbit holes with this and I recently went you know I thought about it and I'm like you know you can do the exact same thing with feminism uh you could look at the school and you could say okay kids you're in an elementary school and most of the teachers are female but if you go to the district office guess what most of the higher paid administrators are male uh that is true is that helpful is that necessary uh is that appropriate um and are there multiple reasons why this might be so, I, you know, so that, that that's something I've been sort of looking at, too, because, you know, I, I get, you know, I, I listen to people taking the critical race theory argument and posing it to me. And then I, I think of different ways to respond to it. Uh, and when I talk to, you know, African-Americans who are opposed to it, they will point out how discouraging this kind of messaging is to young people and how disempowering it can be to young people. And I think that I would feel the same way about feminism. I don't think it's age appropriate uh, or developmentally appropriate necessarily. I feel like these topics are somewhat esoteric and more appropriate for people who have, uh, uh, you know, more than an introductory grasp of The full perspective on American history, on Western civilization, Western history, if you approach everything from how is the United States racist, what structures in the United States are not as racially balanced as we wish they would be that is one perspective but that is not the only perspective as i said you could do the same thing from a feminist perspective you could do it um from multiple perspectives but typically we were given many lenses with which to analyze the world this is one this is this fixation on this one idea and it's almost an obsession it is um and it's it, it it's even reached physical education, it's reaching into math and science as well. And the kids, there's this old joke that in Sunday school, whatever the question is, the answer is Jesus. So you already know what the answer should be. And and my daughter even said this to me, my younger daughter who ran into this in school, she said, Mom, that what happened to her in school was that she was given the Communist Manifesto to read. This was in a um, in a history class. And then she had this small seminar class. She was in about 15 years old in 10th grade. And then they were supposed to debate the merits of capitalism versus communism. And the class agreed that communism is a better system than capitalism. And my daughter came home and she said, well, mom, I tried to defend capitalism, but they didn't give me anything to read about capitalism. So I didn't have anything to say that made any sense. So, you know, these, these really contrived learning experiences I mean, and I went in and I said, like, what makes you think that this is a balanced, you know, a learning exercise? And then they denied that it even happened. And then we got into a whole other problem of deceit and just, you know, um, just absolute uh, dishonesty, which then made me feel like I don't want my kid to be around you because of the morals that you're importing. But that's a very end justifies the means um, worldview which is of course, very Marxist as well. And in this case, I think we're seeing some activist teachers who look at children as means to an end, to a political end rather than auton. I see children and I see autonomous individuals who are their own ends, but that's not what everyone sees. They see them as useful tools to foment their political utopia, their desired political aims. And so they're using children. And, um, and I, I think more of this is coming to light. And that concerns me. I mean, it, it, at FIRE, we very much defend free speech and students are feeling silenced. Students are feeling coerced. We have freedom of thought. We have freedom of conscience. And I think a lot of the methods by which these ideologies are being imported and enacted violate students, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of conscience. And so I object to that on ethical grounds.
0: There are so many people as well in the social justice realm that are such good people who are coming here with uh, good evidence and good reasons and good intentions. And then there's also this whole other group of people that just actually don't understand what CRT is and where it can go. And that's a big problem, just not that people don't understand its roots, like where it comes from.
1: There's a, there's a term for that in Marxism, a term for people who um, are useful to the movement and don't realize that they've been co-opted by it. It's called useful idiot. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's
1: my term. That's the term they use.
0: I was just reading that today, like which segments are required to cause a revolution and the educational sector is huge. And what's concerning in Canada right now, Bill 67, it's called it's called the anti-racism bill, the long form, the racial equity in the educational system. Um, It passed really easily because, of course, people agree with. Uh, not being racist, of course, no one should be racist. In Canada, we are seeking uh, reconciliation with First Nations, and there is a lot of learning and there is a lot of work to do. However, equity is mentioned in this bill 54 times and people think equity is the same as equality and it's very very different so what we're getting is a very specific ideology and and maybe i'll have you explain what what crt principles are but it's a very specific far left ideology that will now be mandated into the educational sector. And so teachers will be required to train, required to teach. There will be racial equity experts coming in. And I have concerns about that because a lot of people that are teaching on this are self-proclaimed experts. So who decides who is an expert on this or not? And teachers' jobs will be dependent on racial equity, competency and how often they're teaching this so you're literally mandating left ideology into every aspect of schools and i and people don't really realize what what is that ideology because they think on the surface well we're just teaching people how to be equal and not to be racist but that's not what CRT is can you explain some of those principles
1: yeah, and I'm actually putting together a, a presentation on the difference between equity versus equality, and it's gonna require me to confer with some of the lawyers that we have at FIRE, but you know, our founding documents and our constitution guarantees equality. Uh, equity is redistribution to achieve equal outcomes, right? So we do, in America, have some incoherence as far as I understand it, because on the one hand, our legal system uh, requires equality, Uh, And yet we have other um, laws that have been implemented that Mandate equity, for example, affirmative action is one. And then the other one is Title IX. And I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been I've been diving down the feminist hole. And I don't I guess I never really thought of myself as a feminist. But Title IX says uh, and it comes back, interestingly, to the transgender argument. Uh, Title IX says that women need to be given the same or you know, females need to be offered the same athletic opportunities in educational organizations as males, which was so not the case when I was younger and I could say more about that, but I did play a lot of women's sports. So I guess I did benefit from some equity initiatives. Uh, Just, you know, this is rather funny, but like at my high school, it was a very sports driven high school. And we had this huge field house for all of the male athletes, whereas the girls changed in the hall and our uniforms. I played soccer and field hockey and our soccer uniforms were literally the boys uniforms when they were done with them. So we would get these nasty, smelly, torn up, raggedy old uniforms and I mean, we thought it was a big joke back then, but, you know, we also knew that it was unfair. Uh, So that is, you know, an example of the equity argument. And then it brings us around to Leah Thomas, which ironically, I guess we've come full circle because now we have female swimmers who are losing opportunities. So we've pitted now the transgender community against the female community to uh, pres- presumptively oppressed communities. And, um, you know, and some people have um, pointed out that, you know, Leah Thomas is a, you know, born a biological male and a white person is oppressing females, you know, with, um, so that is really unresolved. But at this point he is, I guess, the champion of of the female category uh, in whatever, his, whatever the um, event was. So, yeah, equity versus equity tends to be the term that is used to import really a whole new morality. I can give you another example of how this is a completely different morality system that people don't realize um, is like the golden rule. I think a lot of us were taught the golden rule, which is treat others the way you want to be treated, right? Right. Uh, or, you know, that, and that does come from the Bible. So much of the, our morality is rooted in the Bible, even if you don't consider yourself to be a religious person that, you know, do unto others. Well, there is this new morality that I'm hearing too, which is not treat others the way you want to be treated, but treat others the way, not the way you want to be treated, but the way they require you to treat them, mm-hmm. which means you're not in charge of your own behavior. It means the other person tells you How you must behave which is this whole abdication of personal responsibility which is very much to me in keeping with making people ready to accept authoritarian rule because personal responsibility is such a judeo-christian concept that is embedded in all of our legal systems so you can see how when you really start digging into this how deep it goes and how many threads there there are to follow Um, So, you know, when you really unpack it, there are a lot of reasons to be concerned. Teachers being told they must import equity concerns me a great deal because this gets into the realm of violating teachers' Mm -hmm. consciences, Mm -hmm. teachers' um, right to their own beliefs and their own thought, teachers' religious beliefs, because a lot of this we have... um, several teachers have sued over teacher training programs that they were subjected to in the white privilege, confess your white privilege, realm. Those lawsuits have not yet resolved in the United States. We did it fire several years ago, fight successfully the accreditation requirements or the certification requirements through NCATE, which is the national council for American teacher education. So to get certified as an American teacher, they tried to have a new requirement that you must adopt a social justice orientation regardless if that violated your own personal ethics and fire wrote several letters our lawyers did and they did drop that requirement and this sounds very much in the same kind of realm of potentially violating um teachers uh conscience and their own freedom of conscience i don't know exactly how the laws are you don't have the same first amendment but uh same concerns
0: And I definitely don't believe in banning CRT, which I've seen because I believe and free speech. I have a gigantic problem with mandating CRT, which is what that Bill 67 is, especially because it it is an ideology that is treated as fact and it's used with top-down authoritarian measures. If you don't buy in, then you'll actually lose your job. You're not going to have your job anymore. And it ignores a lot of facts. It ignores a lot of facts. Like Leah Thomas, So you have people saying there are no biological differences between men or women well that's not true it's as clear as day when when you look at things so it it doesn't mean it's wrong or right but we can call out facts and biology as they are and there are many of these um issues with crt as well saying that every single system is by nature racist that every single white person is guilty of a sin because of their skin color um and it's crt is so extreme in it in its principles it's that by nature of your skin color if you are white it's actually not possible to be a good person um you it's like original sin that you can never cleanse off of you and as someone that does work in realms like coaching and therapy um we don't help anyone through shame so last i think it was last year we cancelled canada day because we were all told we should be so ashamed of our country and to think that any kind of actual reconciliation or healing would come out of shame now i'm not saying acknowledgement isn't necessary absolutely but to to say that the west and individuals here in the West should always be shamed and you can actually never be good. And anyone that is a minority is by virtue a, a victim for life. Uh, you're putting these uh, permanent labels on people and there, uh, there is no, there's no getting out of that. And when I've brought this concept up to, to my African-American friends too, they agree. They're saying, because of my skin color, you're going to lower standards or do things a certain way. Like their words, not mine. This is racist. Judging me by my skin color and not by my person, who I am, what I am.
1: Racial essentialism. And you've brought up a lot of things. I mean, the whole original sin aspect, there are a lot, there are a lot of aspects of CRT that completely refute Judeo-Christian teachings, So can a family, must a family be required to send their child to school, required by law, where the religious values that they're teaching at home are being undermined? That's a, you know, to me, that's a First Amendment violation. Our First Amendment protects freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, um, freedom of the press, and so on. Uh, But I also would not ban CRT, teaching of CRT. And I think that it's fine to teach about CRT, but Mm -hmm. to mandate agreement with it is where it goes too far. I also don't think it's age appropriate. Uh, as I, and I go back to the whole esoteric. Um, and it needs to be contextualized. I think you need to understand where this came from. Uh, and I just don't think that K-12 is the place for that personally. But that's more of a pedagogical argument. Uh, but I think that you know, in, in America, we have several Supreme Court decisions that basically affirm that we believe more speech, not enforced silence. So that's the remedy for something we disagree with if you disagree with it then you need to um figure out why you disagree with it by thoroughly understanding what it is you disagree with not shove it under the rug and rug and pretend it doesn't exist uh if they're making good arguments let's hear them but let's also hear the other side and they seem to want to silence the other side that is definitely one of the ways that it operates to shame to label to ridicule to um You know, and we're actually seeing teachers who we had this big anti-bullying program in American schools that maybe hyper-sensitized kids too much. And I'm just boggled how just a decade later now, my kids went through this heavy anti-bullying training. And now I think we've got teachers who are bullying kids. And teachers have so much power over kids. This is another irony. They love to talk about the power and oppression dynamics, who's got it and who doesn't and how unfair that is. Look at the teachers. Look at yourselves. You have so much power over these kids. You have authority over them. You control their grades. You control their future prospects. You are older than them. You know more than them. You have more resources than they do. If anybody is abusing power and oppression dynamics in the classroom or has the capacity to do so, it's the teacher. So Mm -hmm. I think that we need to be more mindful of... um, Respecting the powerless people who you know who are in our care and their rights to form their own opinions the same way that I hope we were all able to do,
0: can you share some of those stories about what was happening in the classroom in the United States because I think it's happening more in the states than in Canada, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's coming here shortly. There was an example in your uh, book, for example, um of a biracial boy that was forced to confess his privilege
1: yeah i think that case has not been settled yet but the mom did sue and he was asked to confess his white privilege uh he was only half white but he appears to be white and regardless i don't think anyone needs to and here we get into this semi-pseudo religious realm confession confession, mm-hmm. right? And it's almost like a profession of beliefs too. Um, the, this past week, we had uh, a story about four-year-olds who were given a particular book. I can send you the story. Uh, but they were asked to identify the race, their, the racist in their family. How Marxist is that? How East German is that right? With the informants making kids informants, uh, kids went home crying. I understand from that lesson they were told that you have white privilege. It's your fault. It's not your fault but you have it. There's nothing you can do about it. It's pretty terrifying for little kids. Other little kid lessons we've had are like, you can't go, we're not going to let all the white kids on the playground this day to teach them about um, discrimination, things like that. Um, I have so many examples that I, I lose track of them. Um, but just give me a second and I'll find some more. You know what I and I really sat with that
0: theory when it started coming to Canada, I, I read Abram X Kendi, I read uh, D'Angelo, it was deeply uncomfortable. I, I recognized that if I was uncomfortable about it, you know, that was, that was my, uh, like my white tears and, and all the I really sat with it. And I tried to stay there. But what I was witnessing at the same time was more division and hate
1: hmm
0: so had that theory been a good one i would have seen more unity but i saw way more division and hate than ever before and it's for that reason that i started stepping away and saying i don't i agree that racism should be eliminated um i don't know if this is the way
1: well, and, you know, a lot of people have pointed out that this seems to be the inversion of Martin Luther King's, the content of our character, not the color of our skin, right? He wants my, my children to be judged. And it's not, it's, it's not immaterial that he was a Christian preacher. And I just keep coming back to that. And um, as I delve into this, I, I keep coming into how this seems to be a religious or anti-religious, Um, and you just, I don't see how a secular school and, and the religious aspects that it mimics and that it seems to, uh, incorporate. And, you know, some have said that maybe this needs to be declared a new state religion and therefore banned because Christians have had to learn Christian teachers over time have had to learn that they don't get to proselytize in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, and maybe all the teachers need to leave that, leave that it's almost like there's this vacuum of spiritual need that is being filled by this new, um, some have called it a Gnostic religion and I'd have to delve a little more deeply into exactly what that means. But I think I think it means that we are our own gods, which gets into this idea that we can recreate ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, but do your, own, do your own research on that. Uh, but other examples of problems we've seen are anti-whiteness lessons, anti-police lessons, anti-American lessons, privilege walks you've poss- possibly seen these. And these are, this is I think a, a privilege bingo, uh, not calling on white students or male students just to like de- implement equity measures because like, and, and white students being told, you occupy too much space in the classroom, too much mm-hmm. space. It's almost like telling the student. I, I was taught in my counseling training that there are these silent messages that we give to students. Although this one I think is not silent. I think they tell them, but it one of the, and that the worst, like don't be loud, maybe is a message you imbibe. You know, girls sometimes are, are sort of given that message. Don't be loud, don't be assertive. And it's, you know, you, in, in, you, you, um, grow up that way and you know it's subconscious right but um student lost my lost my train of thought but with the with the yeah not calling on the white students it's it's how the classes how the classes actually run land acknowledgments uh, i think that's probably a big canadian thing like we stand on the land that was stolen from so and so that's actually a big one where that that looks like that's going to be required in certain classes in some states um, which is an interesting one, because it makes the assumption that
0: that that land was stolen only once. But if you read that too, does like the, the like the different indigenous groups themselves stole and conquered each other for that land. So where actually does the land acknowledgement Stop so white people have done this to white people they've done it to indigenous groups, but like we also can't ignore that that also happened only within indigenous communities as well, and so that's one of those facts that we're. Ignoring, we're pretending that it, it doesn't exist. Well, I've been
1: saying for years there's a there's a castle in Ireland that somebody owes me, and I, I'm ready to receive my Irish castle whenever people are ready to uh, restore <laughs> to restore it. Um, I remembered what I was going to say with these privilege walks. There's just bad pedagogy. For example, if you put a and this gets back around to the gender ideology, they'll they'll put a group. They'll make these kids line up in public, right? And then they ask questions, step forward. If you don't ever go hungry at night. Okay. Well, that's kind of humiliating for the kid who maybe goes hungry at night to be publicly exposed that way. Step forward. If you have your own bedroom, well, what if you share a bedroom with, you know, five siblings or who knows who else that's embarrassing. Maybe you don't want to. So now you have a choice. Either you're going to be, you know, a little bit shamed. You might feel shame, embarrassment, or you're going to lie, right? Which is being dishonest to yourself in front of your peers. This, this is what I'm talking about, like just bad therapeutic practices. Who thought this was a good idea? And they even will ask us, take a step forward if you're heterosexual. Well, what have you just done to a kid who's not heterosexual? You've either outed them involuntarily, right? It's like, think, think things through what, come on adults, we can do better than this.
0: When it comes back to that idea that these are Marxists, the goal is to dismantle and disrupt and that those policies are actually harmful for everyone. Like in that example, no one benefited from that exercise.
1: Except possibly political activists, right? Because you want to, yeah, you want to foment discontent. Uh, But I think very much that the medium is the message. And if the medium is to be mean to kids, to shame kids, to isolate, ridicule, target, label, bully, harass, embarrass, expose children, you might want to, you might want to think twice about being involved in that kind of behavior. That's right. It's, it's just poor, poor teaching practice. And all the, think about the power you possess in that scenario. Mm-hmm. One
0: thing that's ignored as well is who is the one teaching this? And who are the people that are the loudest about these policies? I recently watched a video from PragerU, it was called The Whiteness of Wokeness. Mm -hmm. And they pulled. this is just in the United States, so I don't know what it's like in Canada, but they pulled the Hispanic community, the African-American community, the gay community, and Only about 30% of these minority groups agreed with these theories and the people that were teaching them and the most aggressive about them were
1: white liberal women. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and, And people have suggested it's because women, white women are both oppressor and oppressed, or at least they perceive themselves as oppressed. Uh, and especially the more educated that they are, they're likely to perceive themselves as oppressed. It also seems to be a feature uh, and much more prevalent in affluent areas. So uh, we're, we actually are seeing it most pronounced in some of the elite private schools, elite college campuses, and it's, it's always a little bit um, it, it's it's hard to watch when you see people at the most elite college campuses talking about how incredibly oppressed you know and and downtrodden they are so the, there's that irony mm. uh yep you're you're absolutely white and it, right and and <laughs> you're absolutely white <laughs> and um the 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 other problem is how overwhelmingly female the teaching uh, the teaching ranks are becoming, they're more white, they're more white, they're more female now than they were even when I was in school, before, you know, which was during women's liberation when women really didn't have as many job choices. And I have a hard, obviously women, including me, choose education because of kids and because you have the same calendars, your kids. And it's, so it's convenient, which is a form of structural, you know, um, as a structural barrier for women to succeed in the workplace. The fact that the school calendar doesn't, and, you know, maybe that's worthwhile discussing in the schools because sometimes I just want to bring up the feminist thing just to disrupt the the racial narrative. Cause it's, and I don't even feel it that strongly, but I just don't want people to think that there, you know, that there's only one way to look at everything. I think that is another way of looking at things just to make you aware that uh, you can be both because, you know, I was, I was in a meeting once and there was a, a very um, earnest, very scholarly African-American gentleman older talking about how he didn't understand how anyone could question white privilege. And he said, and he, I mean, this person was from down South who had lived through segregation. He was old enough to remember that. And he said, and I don't think he really appreciated what is meant by white privilege. I think he was talking about discrimination and that nobody would deny discrimination. And I, and I responded by saying, you know, Asking a child to confess their white privilege, you know, he's male and I'm female, and I said, "Well, would you want a child, a male child, to go to school and be told he must confess his toxic masculinity?" And he didn't answer. He thought he's. I think he's still thinking about that, you know. And I, it's. I don't think that's right. Why should a boy? you and these are these are lawsuits that are pending now it's like when you are forced to go to a government in america if you're forced by law to go to a government agency like a school they can't look at you and say all right i'm going to discriminate you against you based on your skin color based on your gender um or based on your sexual orientation or something like that so that would be discriminatory, you know, that would be a violation of our civil rights laws. And it's so interesting how some of this ideology is running smack dab against civil rights laws in the United States. And those lawsuits are pending. And I think they're going to lose because uh, unless we're planning to change the laws. So it's very ironical. It's that these people who, I guess, think they're on the right side may turn out to, like the teacher in the the Nevada biracial case white woman i think she's um lgbtq i believe and she uh is probably it looks like going to be found guilty of violating i think i'm sure she thinks she's a social justice activist doing good things and i haven't been found guilty of violating anyone's civil rights but i think she's about to be mm-hmm. so ironical be careful be careful watch yourself cuz you, you might be you might not be as re- as on the right side as you presume you are that's right. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the left today, but you are
0: also really clear in your book, too. It's it's just about not putting politics into the school, period. Like, people are, we're talking about the left, because that is what's happening culturally. Everything is far left. But imagine right now, if you went into a school and told everyone that they must believe in Judeo-Christian values, and that you had to believe in marriage and being straight, it would be an uproar. Oh, well, right same thing we can't mandate anything we're we're advocating for free speech and choice and teaching children how to think not what to think and right now we're teaching kids what to think and they will actually be punished adults are being punished if they don't believe these ideologies and what I struggle with here is conversation is not allowed it's such binary thinking and you've given such great nuanced examples of how this could be a problem and I was telling you before we started I was like sweating even before I started this podcast because these are such heated issues and the way they're structured right now if you have a nuanced and polite conversation about it it still means That you're racist or you're privileged or that you're bigoted or whatever that is, and I really to my core don't believe that's true. And when uh, Bill 67 went to our house, I wrote a very thoughtful, very polite Uh, email to our school board trustees, our superintendents, our principals, just saying, I have concerns about this, if it's going to be mandated in schools, we really need to have a conversation about what this is and what it's actually teaching, because these are the principles of CRT, and are we sure that that is what we want to be teaching? I probably sent out 22 emails, not one person responded, which has been the, the... the same thing that's happened over the last two years, whether it's a, a COVID policy or anything, it's this top-down authoritarian, I'm not going to even answer you or have this discussion, in fact, I'm going to cancel you, which I find really funny, especially in a small town, like these people that are refusing to email me back, I'm going to see you at the grocery store in two
1: days. Right, right. And, and, and there's also this unscholarly certainty, like, you know, there, we have these longstanding practices that are encoded in ethical codes and professional guidelines for teachers, and they exist for a reason, you know, and the, the prohibitions against proselytizing in the classroom What makes you think it doesn't apply to you? Why do you you know we know not to do this because it's been tried and it's been proven that it's not helpful. It's harmful to kids. It's not fair to the community. It's not fair to everyone in the community. Uh, So I guess sometimes we just have to relearn uh, the lessons of the past. But, yeah, this black, white thinking, this either or all or nothing. I'm right. You're you know, you're a horrible person. Uh, this, this extremism isn't good, no matter where it comes from. And, and people of maturity and scholarly training, uh, should know better. And they, we need to hold our own opinions and conclusions more loosely. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, yes, you may broach the subject if it's within the learning standards as well. That's a whole other discussion, uh, because teachers in America, it is considered to be hired speech. You are hired to deliver the curriculum, uh, and so some of these are practicing extracurricularly and and they are being fired, not all of them, but we have several incidents of teachers being fired so I don't want you to think that there haven't been consequences for some of these teachers. Many have been held accountable for going too far in the classroom
0: well, and if it's a good theory and if it's worth um, making permanent, um, then you should be able to have a conversation and defend your ideology with proof and science. So when we come up with these inconsistencies in, in CRT or gender theory, and you're met with dead silence, that just shows me it's not a good theory because you'd be able to have a better argument if it was.
1: Yep. Um, the book that we like to refer to regarding, you know, evidence and proof is kindly inquisitors and, and just the idea that no And this is a big debate in academia is is, is, anyone can have access to the truth, you know, it's like the emperor's new clothes story It's like the child was the one who knew and was able to articulate what was going on. So just because you're a child doesn't mean you're wrong Uh, and but now we have this idea of standpoint epistemology and I'll, I'll use women again as an example you know women's studies the idea is that well if a woman know a woman just knows certain things that no one else could know because she's a woman and we're hearing that right now in America with the Roe v Wade and the Supreme Court and um, But that's not what the scientific method says, you know? Like the science, because I'm sure back in the day, they might've said that only a man is smart enough to be a doctor and only a man is smart enough to do these things. This idea that only certain people can know certain things I think is a a dangerous one. And I think it sort of violates um, classical liberalism and the process of knowledge creation, knowledge uh, interrogation, and anyone should be able to question uh, and anyone could be right but might be wrong and if you think you're right you propose your ideas and you welcome the uh, cross-examination that comes you know it's the same process that occurs in a court it's like how do we know what's true well we propose our evidence we cross-examine it and we reach the nearest approximation to the truth this isn't what they're doing Mm They're telling this is this is what it is. Don't question it. If you do, you will be shunned. You will be, you know, exposed. You will suffer extreme consequences up to and including cancellation, expulsion, you know, like we we have at FIRE had to defend students sometimes who get eliminated from programs because they won't get with the program. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and, um, you know, we are usually very successful doing that because of the principles that should govern and hopefully continue to govern the scholastic enterprise. And maybe if we could have
0: these conversations and things weren't secretive and that people weren't aggressive and attacking one another, then we could create something that is closer to equality and acceptance and inclusion or actually like not racist in a way that actually works. So if we don't have the conversation about, hey, these parts aren't working. I agree with you here. These parts aren't working. Let's change this, let's make a better system. Like we're just never going to get anywhere with, it. it's it's childlike to say, well, I'm taking my ball and going home. We're, we're just you, not gonna talk la, to la, you. La,
1: I can't hear you, it, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I will say too, we We do surveys occasionally, and there are high rates of self-censorship and self-silencing in the classroom. So, I'm sure that some kids actually are convinced of this despite the methods that are being used, but many, many people disagree and are keeping silent. And you can't always assume that students are learning the lesson that you think you're teaching. So, you know, what is it? Maya Angelou, the African-American poet said, you know, people don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel, basically. And I, I don't think these people necessarily are making people feel good. I think they're making them feel frightened. Uh, but frightened isn't good, and I think that when they get out from under your power, they may look back and reject your teachings largely based on how you treated them mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's the same when we were talking about um like these shame based programs it it's abusive you will temporarily get people to do what you want, but it's not real change it's forced and coerced and and it's the reason why I really have this podcast is just to create the space to show people you should talk about those things that you are deeply concerned about. And everyone's just telling you not to talk about, like it's okay. And until more of us do just start talking about it, things won't change and it's going to get worse. and more authoritarian and we're going to get into a really big pickle here.
1: Persuasion, not coercion. Absolutely. And, um, I used to teach, uh, parent effectiveness training. I highly recommend that. And that's exactly what they talk about in there is the effects of power, uh, and that power when there is always a cost to the relationship when you deploy power to get your way. So spanking, uh, is a short term way maybe to get a child to comply, but it it has a long-term consequence. And, you know, that's a whole other discussion, but yeah, power the imposition of power is not the way to can to can change people's hearts and minds
0: Mm -hmm. nor is censoring or canceling because minds aren't changed without conversation as well
1: yep and that's and that's a power move as well yeah amazing well
0: where can people find you if they want to learn more about um your work here with fire
1: so, Fire is uh, our website is thefire.org, and you can reach me at high school outreach at fire.org And I keep a website called uh, um, undoctrinate.org as well. I and I'm, I'm going to be getting back on Twitter now that I, I think the game might not be rigged as badly as it was. <laughs> so at, on Twitter, I'm at Bonnie Kerrigan, uh, K-E-R-R-I-G-A-N. Yep, I, I keep meaning to get back in the Twitter game. I'm not. Um, I'm not big on social media, but I need to make to make it happen.
0: It's funny. I took a little hiatus off of Twitter because it, it's just so mean. It's so mean and so vicious, which is I found it so funny, actually, when Elon bought it and people on the left were so mad because now now it's going to be this violent, awful place. I'm like, Twitter
1: was, <laughs> always that way. It was always that way. Yeah, it's it's an upsetting sewer. It has been an upsetting <laughs> sewer. <laughs> Amazing.
0: Well, thank you so so much um for your time today. I I learned a lot and I hope we can have more of these conversations. Um yeah, I'm I'm glad I did it despite the the sweats and the fear because I I just think we can do better. I agree with some of the intentions behind this, but I just think we can do a whole lot better.
1: I love hearing about um, international stories too. I've been talking, communicating with people in England and also in Hungary about what's going on there. And so there are similarities, but differences. And I think it's an important uh, international conversation to be having. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: We're really tied together. Mm -hmm. Awesome, Bonnie. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Hey guys, Carla Joy Treadway here. I hope you liked today's episode. If you like the show, please consider hitting the subscribe button and telling your friends. It helps us a lot. And if you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest, send us a message on Instagram at sensemakingpodcast. We'll see you next time.